Hello, leaders. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Welcome to the first episode of the Leadership Looks Like podcast for 2019. We have something so special happening on today's show, which I had a blast doing. I can't wait to share it with you. Before we dive into that, I want to remind you that the spring 2019 calendar for Leadership Excursion Company is up and ready to roll. So if you go to leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule, you can either sign up for any of our courses individually, or if you have groups of three or more, feel free to contact us directly. We do leadership training for managers, anybody who would like to develop personally or professionally. We also do a leadership clinic where you can come out and work with us for a day with our horses. And we have launched our youth leadership intensive. So this is leadership training for teens aged 16 and up. And of course, we have Spark Women's Retreat on the calendar. So when you have a moment, head over to leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule and enroll in one of our courses today. We'd love to have you in one of our classes. Now it's time It's time to let you know what's happening. Today, we welcome Jet Mitchell to the show. If you remember Jet, she was on the podcast in July of 2018. Jet Mitchell lives with stage four cancer. She has run a half marathon in every state in the United States. She does work with College of Southern Nevada and also um, works as a recruiter in the technology industry. Just an all around amazing woman that really lives her life with purpose. And when she was on the show, when we wrapped everything up, she turned to me and asked if she could come in at some point and interview me. So that's what we're doing today. We've turned the table. Jet's going to interview me, and I have so much to share, and I can't wait for you to hear. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Hi, I'm here with Cree Edholm, and I am excited to be able to interview Cree and ask her what leadership looks like. My name is Jet Mitchell, and we will have an exciting time speaking with Cree about leadership, women's issues, and everything in between. So welcome. And hello, Cree. I'm impressed. That was an awesome intro, Jet. Thank you. We were just talking about interviewing, and I have never interviewed someone on a podcast, and I am so excited that you are my first. Yeah, I'm excited that this is happening. I think when you came in for your interview, you told me, I want to ask you, I want to interview you, and we made it happen. Here we are. I, I knew I had to, because I thought so many of the questions that you asked me were so provocative and interesting that I just knew we had to talk. So let's talk. Let's do it. So this podcast is what leadership looks like. And normally you would think, well, let's ask that at the very end to wrap it up with a bow. But I want to start this out right. And I want to start by asking, Cree, what does leadership look like? What is it? Here's the thing about leadership and why I love it so much is because there is no clear cut definition and it changes Um, depending on your circumstance. It changes depending on what you want your outcome to be. Um, Sometimes a leader looks like somebody who's standing in front of a room and giving guidance. Another time it's the person that's, you know, um, behind the scenes giving support. And um, 
that's why I enjoy it so much. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll, you'll notice not everybody has the same definition. And what I like to tell people is, you know, if you're a leader or if you want to be a leader, you should ask your team what their definition is because that's what they're looking for in you. And unless you know what that is, you don't know what they're expecting from you. So it can vary by team and mm-hmm. by circumstance. It's yeah, a con- absolutely. In other words, it's a contextual definition and a fluid definition. Yes. It's like, it's like a, a science experiment, you know? I mean, my personal definition is, um, you know, having integrity, um, being your word, um, being a clear communicator. I think that a lot of times as leaders, um, you get caught up in being able to communicate with your team. I mean, that's what it's about is your intentions and what do you want? And communicating can also mean listening, that nonverbal communication, the way you present yourself. And um, yeah, those, those are the important ones to me personally. And it, it, there's so much to unpack with all of that. It's, it, there's so many layers is, is also what I'm hearing. It isn't just a one-dimensional leader. Yeah. A leader is operating in a different, it, not only contextual, but just operating in the environment that she or he is very much a, in a part of their environment. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, sometimes a leader, uh, you know, a leader looks like somebody who is, has to have a lot of guts and stand up and be the person to say something, which isn't easy. You know, other times it's uh, being a leader is understanding that it's not your turn to be the one leading the way, but to support the person who might be leading. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, that's why I love it so much. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's a journey. It's like a big experiment where I get to collect data and, and constantly work on being better. There, there is no end game to being a good leader. And the process is what excites you too. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me one moment that you remember that you know defined you both personally and professionally for the better. For me, it was it was figuring out how to get what I wanted. And this actually happened very early in my career. And if you take any of my leadership training courses, especially the manager training one, I talk about this. So um, the story goes, one of my first jobs, I worked for the Department of Defense. And um, I was the youngest by about 15 years. And I was the only female. And that's important to know because I didn't have anything in common with anybody I worked with. You know, I worked in a very, um, geek, with a very geeky group. Um, and I, I had studied math in college, but I'd never programmed before. So I was learning, you know, I was learning on the job. Anyway, I had a boss who, you know, we would see each other in the hallway. And he was super supportive and, and all of that. But we never really had a dialogue. So when I went in to have my first review, which was a year after I'd been hired, I was nervous. I was afraid. I didn't know what to expect. So I walked into that interview, and um, from what I remember, things went well. And uh, this particular manager, what he would do is we would send him an email every Friday and say, this is what I did last week, um, and then this is what I did this week. And this is what my plan is for the following week. So it was kind of like three layers. And you know what? I just decided to throw in some goals. At the time, I was trying out for search and rescue. Um, I, I don't even remember what I wrote down. And um, a couple weeks later, I, I got an email from my boss. And he says, hey, Kristen, I'd like for you to come into my office. I'd like to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, boy. And he called you Kristen. Yeah. Uh, that's that. Yeah. So 
there was a time in my life where I was Kristen at work and then Cree with my friends. Um, and then, you know, I, I would become friends with people I worked with and then everybody eventually calls me Cree. When did your, when did that segue into Cree? Do you remember? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I named myself Cree. But, but back to the original question, I, um, with, that, with that boss, I wrote those goals down. He pulled me into his office and he said, what made you write these down? And I was like, I don't know. And anyway, automatically right then and there in an environment where I, I you know, didn't have things in common with other people I worked with, I didn't have friendly conversations. I was not friends with people I worked with. Not that we didn't get along, but it just wasn't that kind of an environment. He automatically started making introductions for me. He put me in touch with people on um, out at Nellis Air Force Base on projects that I wanted to work on. He put me in touch with um, the PJ team out at Nellis that they do search and rescue. He just started to make these connections for me. And right then and there, I thought, that's all I have to do is just tell people what I want, and I'm going to get what I want. So what did that show you about the power of putting it out there? Tell people what you want. Like, just be intentional. People don't want, People don't know what you want until you tell them. And do you believe many people think that they need to have a supportive environment or they need to be all of the same, can't be different in order to be supported? No, not at all. I think you can find your support at work or um, with your friends or uh, with a networking group, mastermind group. In fact, I think it's crucial to have a support group outside of work and in at work. You get those different perspectives, you know? And, and, and you ended up achieving goals, not even with someone who supported you and being in a very different place than your peers and your colleagues and yeah. you still affected change. Yeah, and absolutely. And then, you know, the other side of that is I told somebody I wanted to do something and then I did it. And that's where the support came in. He made those introductions because he, he learned from me that not only would I tell him what I wanted, let him know but that I would also do it. What's the synapse between that box that says what I want and what I'll do? Where, what's that? What's the marker or the line between those two boxes? And why do you think people have a disconnect between those two? It's hard. That's the risky part is actually doing something because you don't know if you're going to succeed. You don't know if you're going to fail. You, you don't really know what's on the other side, you know, um, but you just you find that courage and that strength and that trust within yourself, which is really key. And, you know, hey, I'm just going to do this. If I fail, then I have my boss that I can talk to about this. In fact, I can talk to him beforehand and say, hey, what do you think? What should I do? Ask for guidance. Ask your your friends or whoever your support system is. And you know what? If you go out there and you give it your best shot and you fail, I mean, you're going to learn from it. But it didn't sound like you were scared of that. No. It didn't sound like that you thought that failing was the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, no, I I don't ever believe that. What is I the do, worst thing that could have happened? The worst thing, nothing. There's no worst thing. I mean, the worst thing is I did. So, I would do something so horrible to lose my job and I would go get another one. I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a worst thing. So tell me about a moment that you remember that caused a pivot in your either career or your life or both. Oh, yeah. Do you want to know the Cree story really quick? Cree story. Oh yeah, because that's also a pivot. Okay, you know, pivot to Cree. Yeah, <laughs> pivot project pivot Cree. Exactly. So um, the story goes: I was very, very young, and uh, my mom was calling out my name, and my middle name is Marie, Kristen Marie, Kristen Marie. You know, come down here, and I was probably in trouble for something, and um, so I kept ignoring my mom, and she eventually, 
you know, walked upstairs and she told me, I have been calling your name. What's going on? And I told her right then and there that my name was not Kristen. She goes, Oh really? What is your name? And I said, it's Cree Cree. So we had a dog named Shushu at the time. So I must have picked up that name somewhere. And anyway, Cree has stuck ever since. And, you know, we talked about um, me and my work environments. It doesn't matter where I go. People always end up calling me Cree, even if I introduce myself as Kristen. And they don't know. It's supposed to be Cree. Yeah, no. Now I just introduce myself as Cree. It's easier to remember. It's one syllable. Um, You know, Kristen, my name is spelled with an I-N. It's people have a hard time pronouncing it. They call me Christy or Christian or Christy. When I pronounce, when I introduce myself as Cree, that's just what it is. It's memorable and, and uh, people have an easier time with that. And you don't, didn't want to be an I in Kristen in, in an E in world. <laughs> yeah. Good one. <laughs> so in what ways do you think women hold back in the workplace and in their lives? All right. This is where I think women hold back. And I'm going to, and I'm coming from a place of where I worked in a male dominated industry for, for 20 years. And I grew up as a tomboy. I've spent most of my life around, um, around boys or men. And the big difference that stands out in my mind is, um, a woman will speak to what she has already done, whereas a man will speak to what he's already done and what he can do. So, and there's that risk part most of the time I noticed with women was they would just bring me their resume and talk about what they've already done. Whereas the job needed a little bit more. And what I wanted to hear from them was, here's my experience, but this experience will allow me to also do this. I may have never done it before, but I know I can do it. And what is what causes that bridge between those two different approaches? That's a great question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's um, confidence. I'm not sure if that's a uh, like a social norm or something. Um, I don't know. I think maybe it's rooted in in truth, where where typically somebody would say, "Look, this is what I'm capable of doing," but um, for some reason, men are comfortable saying that. But then also, oh yeah, I can do that. You know, I can do the job of of the person that's two titles above me you know, and they won't blink an eye and say that they can or can't, you know, say that they can do that. So when you're coaching women to have those kinds of conversations, what do you say to them? What do you want to do? You've, you already know that you're capable of doing this, but if you want to go after that job or if you want to, uh, start your own business or, you know, if you want to start that family, I mean, whatever it is that you want to do, envision yourself doing that job and feel confident that you can do it. Feel confident knowing that you already know how, even though you've never done it before, you can certainly do it. Do you think most women just project or visualize to one level or to two levels? You you mentioned earlier that you say many men talk about, oh yeah, I can do something that's two levels up. Mm -hmm. Do you think many women stop themselves at one level or they just don't even project anything? I, I mean, we're, we're speaking in you know, we're, we're kind of using the words all and right. We're being you know, very general. We are. Yeah. But, but I would say, yes, it, it, been able to coach. it's as, as somebody who, um, was, has been a leader, a manager, an executive, it's something that stood out to me. It's something that I noticed. Um, and you know, 
when you are managing large amounts of people or you have interviewed uh, many, many people over time, you just start to notice trends. And that's one that just stands out in my mind the most. And, you know, it makes me want to just look at women. And I, I remember feeling this way in interviews sometimes. I would look at them and I'd look at their resume in there, you know, uh, and I had talked to other people and I would just want to say, girl, you can do this. This job would be cake for you. Yeah, you've never done it before, but without a, a shadow of a doubt, I know you can do it. But I need to know that you feel that way. What is it in Texas? They say you have to have the want to. Right. Is it the want to or is it the articulation of that confidence of I can do that? I think it's articulating it and then feeling it. And when when you when that shows up for you and you are coaching someone, mm-hmm. what do you say? As far as saying, this is a cake for you, I know. In other words, if you can visualize it for her and she has not visualized it for herself and you are helping her, what do you say? All right. If you were, what I would say is if you were to do this job, what would you do? What steps would you take? How would you go about doing it? What's your approach? And just have them talk through that. And at the end of the, you know, at the end of the session or at the end of the conversation, okay, well, you have just done it. You know, you've said the words, you know how to do it. You know how to approach it. Um, you have a t- contingency plan. You know what happens if, if something doesn't go right. You know to, who to talk to, who to reach out to. Um, that's a lot of it too is, you know, you may not know how to do something, but if you have relationships with the people around you who can help you or who can answer your questions, then that's, that's part of the puzzle too. And I think some, I think some, and we're not, I'm not generalizing to all men and all women. Mm -hmm. And and I know you made that distinction clear earlier, which I think is important, but I listen to how men and women both communicate. And one example pops in my mind of, I heard a senior level professional who every time she spoke publicly, her first words were, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And she would get up on a stage and say, I'm sorry. And I looked around and I thought, I'm wondering if I'm the only person that's heard this because that is so, it's not a great opener. It does not instill confidence to say the words, I'm sorry, especially publicly. And you're not sorry for anything. You're just, it's a verbal tick that that you're saying and it's quite distracting and it certainly doesn't help advance a career. Uh, what types of things like that do you do? You see verbal and nonverbal lack of assurance, lack of, lack of confidence that does stand in someone's way like that. Yeah, that's that's a really good example. Um, it's probably just a nervous tick or a habit, right? And of, I think that apologizing for anything—if you've made a mistake—absolutely, I think you're going to get respect that way. But yes, if you if you're just apologizing for the sake of apologizing. I mean, if you think about it, then when you really have to apologize, it's minimizing that, you know? Um, Something I like to uh, talk about is instead of saying, I'm sorry, say thank you. It's, you know, you can just replace those words with something else. So if that person had stood up in front of the crowd and just said, thank you, instead of I'm sorry, then... A, sub, a you know, great something. substitution could have really helped as well. Absolutely. And it's it's still um, meeting the needs of the individual to either have just a, a go-to something to say or that nervousness, you know, kind of have that outlet still, but it's just a different way of, of uh, saying it. And putting her in a broader cultural context, is our country currently in the place where we're really championing her 
to move forward and take that step? Are we in that place right now as a country? I do. Um, I think that uh, as a country, we're seeing more women run for office. We're seeing more women um, take on leadership roles. Um, I think we're a lot of my friends have left corporate America and they have started their own businesses or they're just doing something else. Like there's definitely a change. And I don't think it's just with women. I think it's also with um, the generations that are coming up now, the millennials and Gen Z. I mean, they, if you are um, a company that's interested in uh, long-term survival, then it, start paying attention to what's happening and start learning how to change the way you're leading and change the way you do business because it's it's here. There, There's definitely a, a change. What you're saying is it's happening. It's happening it's now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, example, here in Las Vegas, there is... Um, I just keep meeting incredible women and it's different. It feels different because 10 years ago, if I was working in tech and there was another woman in the room, you just, it's like, it's almost like it's a competition, you know? And something I always wished for was if I did have somebody who was a colleague at, at my level in my jobs, which rarely happened, um, you know, we should be supporting each other. And I think now, when I talk to women, when we're out at Spark Women's Retreat, it's support. Women are now supporting one another and doing everything they can to see one another succeed. And it's such a huge difference and it's so refreshing. I really like it. So I want to change gears for just a second and talk about your voice and your platform and your mission and what you're what you're doing and how that started for you. So how did you find your voice? What happened to put you on the path of empowering women and spark and all of the things that grew out of that? Where did that start? Yeah. Um, I, I can't really pinpoint a certain time. But um, yeah, you know, I mentioned I worked in tech for 20 years. And the reason why I became a business owner was because I got fired from my job. Um, and what had been going on is, uh, you know, I started out as a developer. I moved my way up um, into an executive position over the course of a lot of time. And I really loved working in tech. The last handful of jobs that I had at, at a senior level, I felt like I was in just a, a bad dream, like a, a pattern. And, um, it was me trying to figure out my voice at a senior level. And I could never really put my finger on it while I was in it. But, you know, my voice just wasn't being heard. And I, for whatever reason, you know, whether it was, hey, you need to be paying me more because a person that reports to me literally makes twice as much as I do, you know. Or, you know what, here's the data. I've been working on this for a year. We've turned our profits around. Here's the data, the proof. This is what we need to be doing moving forward voice not heard. You know, so it was just like, I felt like I was just hitting wall after wall. And, um, I think it was like two, one or two weeks before I had been let go at my last job, I was pulled into the office and I was told I was doing an awesome job and thank you so much. And, um, you're being incredible, you know, what you're doing is incredible. We really appreciate you to two weeks later that complete 180. And I don't, it was never explained to me what happened. Something happened, you know, but I just took it as 
my opportunity to take control of, of what I want to do in this life. And, you know, I, I looked at that pattern and I looked how, at, um, how, uh, horrible it felt to be in it. And, you know, I was able to compare a number of different companies and, and the way that these businesses were run. And I just thought, you know what, I can make an impact. This is this, the way businesses are, are run in my, in my experience is it's got to be better. We, we got to do better. These companies have got to treat people right. We need to be treating people with decency and, and respect. And if that happens, your profits will be there. People will stay. You know, it's expensive for turnover to happen. And, you know, if to have the attitude, you know, there's the door, we'll just hire someone else. I mean, I don't know. It's just not, I don't, I don't think that that's a healthy place to be. And I don't think that that is where we're going to see success in corporate America if we continue to be that way. So let me back up and say, what is your voice? How would you define your voice, your message? My, I want to make a difference. In what way? I want to make a difference with women. I want to be an example. I want to um, help support people discover the type of leader that they are, what's important to them, and the type of leader that they want to be with their team. And um, this change that I'm talking about, I think that if I do it, and I also... Um, continue to meet the people that I have met along the way who feel the same way I do and we, we see eye to eye. If we're all coming together and we're doing this, things are going to change. And I want to be, be a catalyst for that. I want to be doing the hard work because it, I want to see it change and I know it can. So how has your voice changed over the last four years? The, the biggest change is I don't work for other people anymore. Um, you know, one part of being a, uh, an executive in a business is, you know, sometimes you have to stand by something that you don't believe in. You know, sometimes you have to deliver a message that you don't necessarily agree with, you know, because you've, you've gone into a room with six, seven, eight other people or whatever that an executive board or a, you know, a, a senior management team looks like. And you're making decisions for a company and you have a bunch of A-type personalities in a room and you have to concede sometimes, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to, um, choose my words wisely or, or kind of speak double talk or be political, um, because I can just speak my truth and what I believe and what I want to do. And you can keep your message authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to speak to a certain audience to temper your words or be very cautious. You can just say, this is what I offer. This mm-hmm. is what I do. And if you aren't right for me. Yeah, exactly. Right up front. Yep. As opposed to in a corporate setting, you would have to concede numerous times just to be part of the group or just to be continue to keep your job. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you see your voice evolving? I wanted to get bigger. Um, this podcast is, is something that is growing. Um, I can't really talk about it yet, but I have some really big, exciting guests that are, that are scheduled to come in next year. Um, and it's just, uh, it's about sharing this message, sharing inspiration and getting it out to more and more people. However I can, whether it's in a podcast, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Instagram, you know, whatever it is and continuing to do the, the face-to-face work with teams and 
bring groups together and corporate teams together and women together and, and, um, and, and just working to be better. So you talked about your message just now. What messages are you hearing in the business community and in the world that you think should be ignored? Um, I think the stereo, the generational stereotypes, it's, it's time to put those to rest. It's time to really do the work and figure out what's going on and talk to each other and have a conversation. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about listening too. um, we need to start listening to each other and what our needs and what our wants are and, and what we expect. Hey, the millennials, the millennial generation, uh, they now make up a majority of the workforce. You know, uh, it, they're here. It's time. It's time to listen and uh, make make those changes. Yeah. So you talked about conversation. I would love to know who, what women would you, what woman would you most love to have, love to have coffee with? I would love to have coffee with Michelle Obama. And what's the first thing you would ask her? Why aren't you running for president? What if she said she was? Well, I don't think she would. Why not? She already has answered that question. She says that she hasn't. That's like the, the you know, the poli- those political, um, I don't want to say games, but... Um, maneuvers? Yeah, exactly. Maneuvers. It's, it's, it's not time to announce, you know. You have to time everything correctly, and you've got to file all the paperwork and all, and all of that. But, um, that. but yeah, that'd be my first question I would ask her. What's holding America back from electing a woman? I think we have a lot of work to do as a country. I think we're seeing an ugly side of ourselves out coming out right now. And I think that me, a lot of people, me included, didn't realize it was still there and still prominent. And when you talk about the work to do, what kind of work do you think needs to be done grassroots by a Las Vegas woman, by a Southern Nevada woman to further that effort of not having that underbelly side be more prominent? Um, I think it's, what are you willing to tolerate? you know, are you going to be gutsy? Yeah. I also mentioned earlier that sometimes being a leader is doing something really hard and say, you know, there's, there's this, um, there's this current going on. This is like, people aren't really talking about what's going on. We see it in the news, but we only get so far in our conversations and it could be about gun control or it could be, you know, about why isn't there a female president? It could be, um, a lot of the things that are going on right now. And then we stop. And then we stop. Why? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think right now there's a lot at stake. I think that right now people are feel f- fearful of, um, of violence. I think that we now have seen, uh, there's, there's, there's shootings going on. You know, there's, there's people walking into churches and and schools and opening fire on people. I mean, I think that that's a real fear. We have active shooter drills happening with elementary age children, you know, and that in itself brings up fear, but it also brings up, um, hate too, you know? And we need to do something. We need to do something to look even further and past that hate. We need to at least talk about it and it, at least start trying something. 
It may not be the right answer. I don't think anybody has a clear-cut answer of what to do about a lot of things going on right now, but we we should start to try something. And that first thing is your voice and standing up and saying those hard things and acting on them. Somebody's got to do it, you know? And that someone is you. I mean, I think that I do that in my own circles and my conversations. I mean, we're, st- we're talking a lot of, about politics. I'm certainly not a politician. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not afraid to have those conversations. I, and also, I want to hear what the other side has to say. I want to understand where people are coming from. Why is there so much hate? What, is, what has happened to you that's so horrible that you want to, um, you know, be that ugly to somebody else? Would running for office make sense? For me? I, no, I don't want to run for office. Why not? You know, it's just something that, um, it's never really interested me running for office. Um, I really, really love being an entrepreneur. This is new for me. I'm coming up on my three year anniversary, you know, so that's, that's, I've been working since I was 15 years old. So this is literally I'm coming in on three years of where I get to be doing what I want to do and um, implement what I want to implement and, and kind of do that. So, so yeah. So we talked earlier about having coffee with Michelle. Yes. In addition to Michelle, what, who inspires you and what one woman would you identify by saying she's someone I admire? I have some incredible women in my life. My mom is one of them. Uh, my wife is one of them. Um, I have some incredible friends that just um, have been in my life for a long time, or even sometimes just a, a short time. And um, that's where I get my inspiration. That's where I draw that that strength from. And uh, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. So we talked about who inspires you. Who gets the Boo Hiss Award? Oh man. I, right now it's, it's, it's anybody who, um, for me personally, it's, it's anybody, if I share an idea or if I share an opinion or, if, or, um, if I want to do something, it's anybody who does something to, to stand in my way or to thwart my ideas. Like, I don't mind a little back. I don't mind me sharing an idea and somebody saying, you know, I don't think that's a really good, I don't think that's a good idea and here's why. Um, but here's what you could do instead. You know, that, that's a, that's a constructive conversation. So those are the types of conversations that I enjoy having, but it's the ones where, oh, you can't do that. There's no way that's going to work. Oh, that's the last time someone said that to you. Oh, you can't do that. I don't even know because I just don't listen to it. If I ever, if I hear that, uh, then I just kind of go, oh, okay. And I just move on. It's just not somebody or a, somebody that I feel like I can connect with or a conversation that I wish to have. And is that part of you being purposeful about who you do surround yourself with? Oh, yeah. That you are yeah. not in a corporate setting where you'd be exposed to that more frequently. Yeah. And I mean, even when I was in a corporate setting, um, sure, I had to work with people that I didn't agree with. Um, but that's life, right? So I would still surround myself and or... Um, create allies or, uh, you know, just because I don't agree with someone on one thing doesn't mean I'm not going to agree with them on something else. And we still have to work together. So we have to find a common ground somewhere. 
And, and I don't yeah. mean to say that a corporate environment is, is bad and a small environment is good because, right. as you know, there can be a toxicity in a very small group as well. Right. Um, so it isn't, it isn't necessarily just the context of corporate is what you're saying is I've just surrounded myself with people that will support me. Uh-huh. However that looks. Yeah. It and could you be know, in any kind of arena. And we just talked about the political arena. If you did ever run for office, you would have supporters around you that would make sure that your means would be accomplished anyway that they, that they could for the, uh, the greater good agenda. Right, right. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about the way that I set my business up. I think um, I drew from my experience working in corporate America where, you know, you have different types of employees, right? You have people you hire who are, are on your payroll, or you have um, people who you can hire and, you know, on a contractual basis. So the way I've built my business now is, I don't have any employees. The people I work with are strategic business partners or contractors, and we work together on initiatives. And then that way I don't have to feel like uh, there's not that added pressure of having to meet payroll. And that this might change in the future, but it's taken a lot of stress off of me personally. Um, I don't have to worry about payroll. I don't have to worry about health insurance, you know, and I can be very flexible with my business relationships. You know, I, we all create a a contract and those contracts can always be renegotiated or changed. So, um, and the reason why I did that by design so that I could always have those types of conversations and always be in a position where I can make that decision of who I want to work with. So I don't get stuck. And it can evolve and change as yeah. the business needs change or as your needs change. Absolutely. And this is just working well for me now because building a business from scratch and my business model is is very different and unique. And by the way, I don't, re- rec- I don't really recommend that. <laughs> you just have to learn a lot. You have to be more flexible. So that flexibility allows my business to move quickly and to adjust quickly. And so then that way you know, I'm not stuck in a, a long-term contract where it doesn't make sense anymore. I can change things if I need to. So speaking of evolving and changing, mm-hmm. there's an international trip potentially planned for the mm-hmm. future through your yes. organization. How yes, I'm so that? excited. All right. So first of all, I love to travel. So, oh yeah, earlier you were, you were asking about Spark and how that came to be. Um, I always wanted to do a women's something. And I literally woke up one morning and I'd been thinking about doing a retreat and I thought about doing one in Zion because here in Vegas, um, I know a lot of people who have never been to Red Rock. I know a lot of people who have never been camping and I should people, but also women and, or have never tried to go rock climb, but, but they like the idea of it. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to create a retreat and I'm going to get women outside or just get them out of their comfort zone let's go have some fun and let's learn some stuff together. So Spark, uh, we just had our second annual retreat in September. And um, man, that's just one of those, Spark Women's Retreat is, is one of those passion projects where you have a vision and you really want it to turn out as well as you think it will. And then it exceeds your expectations. I mean, I, I don't know how many times that happens, but it's, it's happening with, with Spark. And What power happens when you get that group together? it's, it's, it falls in line with what I mentioned earlier. I mean, you, here's, I talked about the difference between men and women when it comes to, um, communicating what, you know, what you can do 
and what you potentially can do, you know, that, that there is something different when women come together and when they truly support one another and it's genuine, it, it, it's something else. And this is coming from somebody who, again, my whole life, I've pretty much been around men and not that I didn't like that environment. In fact, there are things that I enjoy and don't enjoy about both environments, but there is something so powerful and women truly support each other. They really want to see each other succeed and they will just chip in and help each other, um, with whatever it is that they want to do. They'll start projects together. They'll, um, volunteer, you know, at nonprofits together. It's just, it's amazing. And I don't know that you would get that same connection with a group of men. I honestly don't, I've never witnessed something like that. I'm not sure. We're, we're natural collaborators. Yeah. And, and again, not to stereotype or Mm -hmm. say that this is all women and all men, but by and large women support each other and help each other when they have joined together to align to make something happen. They'll do that together. Yeah. And I just, I, I, you know, I've always been the person that has like parties at my house. I love it when people that um, I care about are all together in one place, whether it's my family and my friends. And so, you know, Spark Women's Retreat is just an extension of that. It's bringing women together who want to challenge themselves, who want to make a change, who they they actively want to learn new tools and, and do something different. And um, we've had women come out um, and... Y'all all here two weeks later, they've quit their job. You know, we'll, we'll have some women come out. They, they've learned about somebody um, who has a nonprofit and they're donating to them or they're volunteering. Um, you know, you mentioned my international trip. So Spark is growing. Um, we're, we've created a new, more intimate experience. So we have a, um, it's called Spark Self-Care. Our first one will be in April of, of 2019. Um, that'll be smaller size groups and cause not everybody likes to be around a large, you know, a large size group of women. They just prefer maybe a smaller group. Um, and then we're going to take a trip to, uh, Africa in 2020. So that will be our first international trip. For, What's your for vision Spark. for Africa? Well, I, so I've partnered with Stacy James at Dazzle Africa. She's been on the podcast. Um, I am an avid traveler. And I will tell you, Africa has not been high on my list. But when I met Stacy, you know, part of a part of Spark is let's get together, let's support each other, and let's do fun projects together. And that's what Stacy and I are doing. We met at Spark. Um, you know, we just connected, and she, you know, her nonprofit is is installing wells in community in bringing water to communities in Africa there. Um, you know, she's got a full-time vet on staff. She's taking care of animals. She's clearing snares from bushes and she's doing this all from thousands and thousands of miles away. So, um, you know, in her dazzle Africa, they manage retreats and that's what supports their nonprofit. And so it, it just made sense that this is, this is the first place we're going to go is, is this is, what sparks about and this is what we're doing. So yeah, our first, that's how we decided to go to Africa on our first international trip. So first off Africa, what's second stop? Yeah. I was just thinking about that today. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it might be New Zealand or something like that. We'll have to see. Do you envision having Las Vegas women travel 
in a Las Vegas community, or do do you envision finding women in New Zealand also come together so, to bridge burn to, I, to build bridges and collaborate? Not bridge burning, bridge building. Yeah, yeah, and collaborate. The unexpected part of Spark is um, when people ask me what the demographic is. You know, how old are the women who are going, or you know, why are they going, or where are they where are they finding out about this and, and traveling from to join us. We, in year two, we've had, we have women from all over the country coming to um, Zion National Park to join us at Spark. We have women of all different age ranges. We have women who just graduated from college and we have some who have just retired and they're not sure what they're going to, their next step in life is, you know? So it's, I think it's going to be all the above. I think women are going to travel from all over the states. Um, I think once we start to grow internationally, I think we'll have women from New Zealand um, who would also join us. I mean, we're a part, the one big component of Spark is we also bring that, um, the, the learning piece to it where we have workshop leaders who deliver um, tools and information so that when you leave Spark, you know, you not only do you have that confidence that you've tried something new, you've traveled to a new country, you've maybe you've bungee jumped off a bridge in, you know, New Zealand and you get that confidence. Um, but you also have these new tools. So when you go back home, you know what to do with that confidence. You know? So the age, the age of the participant is not a factor. No. Background is not a factor. No. What is the one common denominator that you would say, this is a probably a spark woman? She's, she's, she's ready to do something. She's ready to make a change or she's stuck or she just needs some friends that support group, you know, um, some women are traveling here because it's in Southern Utah and it's just beautiful. Um, yeah. When you talk about the support group, I'd love to hear from you about social media. In what ways do you think social media hinders a woman as she advances in her professional or personal life? In what way does it hold her back? Um, I think negative comments. Um, I think when you put yourself out there on, on social media, there's always the potential for, for, um, people to say things that aren't appropriate or maybe things to put you down. You know, you're, you're putting yourself out there. I think that's a negative is just seeing and reading those comments if they're happening. Um, the other thing is, I think is as bad about social media is it's painted this picture. Like everybody's life is perfect or something, you know? I mean, I think we're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of women in my circles getting more real on social media, you know, but just remember when you're on there and you're looking at the photos, um, even if you're following my stuff, I mean, yeah, you want to put your best self out there and that's exactly what happens on social media. And just because you think something is going really great for someone else, you know, they're probably just struggling as bad as you are. It it isn't a way to be authentic. Yeah, absolutely. It's a way to, it's a way to showcase and it's a great way to promote yourself, but it isn't a way to really tell your story. No. And you find yourself comparing yourself to somebody else and making up your own story for them. It's not connection. It's not. It's, it's just a, you know, if you're a Brene Brown fan, she talks about this all the time. We make up stories all the time. It's, It's a networking or a showcasing, but it is not. The way, and this is this is what you're describing as the power of getting women together in real life. Yes, meeting each other, 
magic happens. It doesn't sound like you're saying the same thing would happen if we all just logged on and posted pictures. Yeah, no, and it doesn't. In fact, um, I have a Facebook group for Spark Women's Retreat, and there's not a lot of activity on there. But there's no doubt in my mind, and I see it, that after women leave there, um, they connect with each other online, um, and they're, you know, they're, they're connecting outside of our in real life. forced group. But yeah, in real life. Right. Um, actually contributing mm-hmm. as opposed to clicking a like, actually liking something in real life or taking it to a next level of conversation and of contribution. Yeah. And I see the comments, congratulations, that's awesome. Or, um, you know, I just saw something the other day. Um, one of our nonprofit partners is the Cupcake Girls here in town. And um, Joy Hoover, the the president of that organization, she posted something about needing volunteers. And a couple of the Spark Girls women got right on there and said, I'll be there. It's those types of things are you happening. You just said Spark Girls. That just made me think maybe there's a group of seven to 14 year olds that are spark girls that are then wanting to be spark women when they're yeah, I'm older. Not, I'm not ready to talk about that yet, but, um, yeah, <laughs> to be, that, to be another conversation yes, to be had. Yes. So speaking of going back to an, a younger self, what would you tell your 22, what message would you tell your 22 year old self that you wish you would have known when you were 22? Okay. When I was 22 years old, now, now, I grew up in a really small town, and when we traveled or we went on vacation, we'd go camping. I grew up in Lake Tahoe, a beautiful, beautiful place to grow up. And when we traveled, it was normally in a car, and we'd go camping, and we loved it. Like, it was always a, a blast. You know, I did not know until my early 20s that it was even possible to go to a place like Europe or that I could afford that. I guess I just never even looked at the price, you know? So when I was 22, um, my younger sister was in the army and she was stationed in Germany and I bought a ticket to go see her. Um, I, when I saw the price, I was like, I can afford that. I bought a year rail pass and, um, I took my first trip. So, uh, to answer your question, it's to travel. If, if I had known at that age, how incredible it really was, like if somebody really told me, then, um, then I guess I would have I would have known better or something. I don't know, but yeah, travel has been huge. It what it sounds like you're saying it wasn't even in the realm of possibility, and you may have just told yourself it, not only is it possible, it's this is so doable. Yeah, this this is yeah. easy. In fact, this is, this is simple. When I got back. So I remember being in my early twenties. Now I told you I grew up in a small town in a mountain town, and, and I didn't grow up with cable. We had one channel. That was it. So I think when I was in you know, I was in college. That was, it's kind of what you did. You just bought cable, you know? And I worked my way through school. So I was paying this cable bill. And I remember getting back from Europe and just being like, you know what? I don't even watch, I'm not even ever home. I'm not even watch them and cancel this. That's $1,200 a year. That $1,200 a year, I can go to Europe. I can stay in hostels or I can travel somewhere, you know? And I there it is. So I immediately cancel. So maybe that's what I would tell my 22 year old self, you know, I think it sounds like you're talking about priorities. You're you're basically saying realign your priorities to be true to your authentic self. And for you that involved travel. Yeah. And that speaks to me because that's very much a part resonates with me because it's a part of who I am. But many people ask, well, why do you travel so much? And it's because that's a high priority for me. 
Some people watch a lot of TV because it's a high priority for them. Right. Yeah. Some people don't travel because travel is not a priority. But and you would just have said, realign your priorities and make travel a big part of who you are. Yeah, there's just still, we've already talked about connection and it's still the same thing with travel. You can see it on TV, but until you go to another country and really feel what it's like, it just makes you appreciate more. It, it gives you a better perspective. You learn, um, you learn about history. You know, we live in the U.S. This is not a very, we've not been around that long, especially in Las Vegas. You know, we're just over maybe what, 110 years old now. Well, if there's a building longer than 30 years, it's it old. It has to be demolished yeah. because it's just, it needs to go away for something new. Right. So yeah, it just, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's important. And I think traveling on your own is important, especially as a woman. I think it's something you should do. And so you're just describing a way in which you would have told your younger self, identify your priority and then make sure you align what you do to correspond with that priority, right? Live yourself, live that. Don't just say you want to travel, but do it. Give up cable. If you need to give up buying something Mm -hmm. and buy an experience. Yeah. And so it sounds like what the experience that you've bought, not only do you not regret that you want to, you want to continue buying experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's called the travel bug. Yes. (laughs) So let me switch gears and ask you something else. Okay. In what ways do you think your message is nuanced because you're a gay woman? Um, I don't know. Um, I really can't answer that. It's not something that I think about actively. I don't really pay attention to what other people might think about that. What is your wife tell you as far as what the work is that you do and what impact you have? What does she say leadership looks like? Oh, she, so for her definition of leadership, um, she's got a boss right now that gives her, he, he trusts her implicitly. And so he gives her the freedom to, um, make decisions on her own in her job. Um, and if she wants to do something above and beyond, you know, she'll run it by him and, and he's never said no to her and you're giving her, uh, the support that she needs to, to accomplish those types, types of things. So that's the type of leader that, that she really looks up to, uh, and somebody who's consistent and honest. Do you see you and your wife as being part of the community, the LGBTQ community in Las Vegas? We don't actively seek out being a part of any community. Um, that being said, we're out. People, I mean, people know that Carly is my wife. Um, I don't hide that with anybody. It's my reality. It's a it's, uh, part of who I am. And um, But I think, and some people call us a power couple. Um, but it's just, I guess it's, it's just setting an example that you can live authentically. You can be yourself. You can do what you want to do. And um, it's, it, it's, it's not going to hold you back. So you talked about doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do next? Oh, my next, well, f- besides Africa? Besides, in addition, in addition to Africa. All right. Um, and things that you can talk about. Yes, well, I, yeah. Um, so for business-wise, what I want to do next is um, 
continue growing my business, growing uh, my client base. I want to continue to impact businesses. I want to continue to um, help uh, anybody who wants to be a manager or a leader or even just be a better manager or a leader, figure out what that is because it, it is something different to everybody. Um, with Spark Women's Retreat, I have some really, really exciting things coming up in 2019. Uh, we get a lot of requests from women um, basically saying that they would really love to go to Spark, but they can't afford it. And we do... We have different package offerings. In fact, our packages start at $4.99 and that's all inclusive. And we also have payment plans, you know, so we try to be as flexible as possible with people, um, with, with getting there. And, but we do understand that for some people, that's just, it's just not going to happen. It's just not a reality for them. So we have, uh, we're in the, we have developed a scholarship program. So any merchandise that we sell or, um, any sponsorships that we receive for the event, um, all of those monies are going to go into supporting our scholarship program and funding all of the leaders that come out and volunteer their time to deliver their message to, to women who are, who are, um, attending spark. So that's something really exciting. Um, we are launching a teen leadership intensive, uh, this spring. So we're going to start expanding our offerings to, um, young leaders. Um, we're going to start with high school aged, uh, leaders. We are working with a local, um, private high school who we've worked closely with to develop out, to develop a leadership training program for their students. And now we're ready to bring that, um, out to anybody who, who wants to participate as well. It's pretty exciting. So what do you not want next? What are you moving away from now? Um, I'm, I'm making the switch now. So the last three years I've really worked hard at building out the foundation of my business. Um, I've had to, uh, change so much the, you know, what I started off doing is so different now. All of my services are different. The way that I teach is different. Um, but I'm at a place now where, the foundation is set and now it's just about getting the word out. I can spend more time, um, networking. I can start to, um, go on more speaking engagements. Um, this podcast, uh, we've been working really hard for the past three or four months to turn this into more of a media company. So that's something I haven't mentioned yet, but it's, it's something that we're working real hard to find, to really figure out what that looks like. Um, I want to write a book at some point that's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, that's what I want to do. When you talk about getting your message out, what kind of spark woman best portrays your message? And what does she say? If you didn't know anything about spark and you overheard someone talking about it, how do you think it would be best presented and by whom? Well, our tagline is create your spark. So it's, it's really about not only somebody who wants to make that change, but, but, that person who now knows how to create their own spark. They're not going to depend on anybody else. They're not going to depend on something else, even if it's time, even if it's, you know, the, the craziness that is life. It's like, I want, I am ready. I want to do something and I am a hundred percent confident that I can do this. I don't have to wait on anybody else. I can do this. And I'm ready to do it now. And I'm, and I'm not only am I ready, but I'm going to, and I have the support system behind me. I know who to reach out for, to get help or to ask questions to, or, I mean, there's, 
it's endless. In what ways do you think procrastination plays into a woman holding herself back from breaking through, going to the next level? I mean, I... There's procrastination that we, you know, we're a, a lot of us are, are pretty guilty of where you just put something off that you don't want to do. But I think there is a procrastination in those things that you do want to do in life. And I think that's fear or it's not knowing, but I think it can really be boiled down to fear and Hey, it's scary. I, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I am, I'm the type of person that will do it. I, there, I have very little fear. It's just kind of in my genetic makeup, but I also understand that people don't have that. I think I'm different that way. Um, you know, but, uh, get to the root of what it is. What are you afraid of? How can you teach a lack of fear or, I, or no facing fear and doing it anyway, not necessarily a lack yeah. of fear, but how can you teach or coach face the fear, do it anyway, feel, feel the fear, move on, come up with a plan. What do you, you know, um, who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for someone else? How are you going to do it? If you don't know how to do it, do you know someone who does? Or do you know 10 people who might have little pieces that you can ask questions and piece things together? You know, I think uh, once you put a, a plan together, it doesn't have to be like a, this big, I think people also get caught up in putting a plan together. Just put a, put a task down, do one a day, you know, make a list of things that, that will get you there and then just start ticking them off. So let me, let me ask a global, let me ask a global women's question. What are, in your opinion, what are the two main issues that are facing professional women today? I mean, we, we hear a lot in the news about how, um, diversity in general, just inclusion. I think that's something that, that is still going to take a lot of hard work. Um, I'll say this real quick something that I think is a quick win for organizations who are having a hard time with inclusion, pull up your demographic data and look at who you're selling to. You know, women hold over 80% of purchasing power. They're the ones that are buying your stuff. Why aren't you hiring them? Why aren't you, why aren't they sitting in that executive board with you making a decision? That's who you're selling to. Or, you know, just diversity in general. So anyways, um, a little side note there, but I think there's a lot of work there. And I think that there's still a stigma around women who are, um, not supportive. I think that, that we stand in our own way and I think there's still some work to be done there as well. And how do you address that issue of supportiveness in spark and in the work you do? I feel like if, if I'm supportive, some, then other people will be supportive of me. And if they're not, then I won't have a relationship with them. I won't work with them. Where do you think the lack of support comes from? I think it's a competitiveness. I think it's, um, it's kind of the nature of work. It's, I I know in, in tech, you know, you, you don't have a lot of, of women in the room. So it's, it's almost like, you're trying to put each other down rather than lift each other up. It's, it's really weird. Uh, it's this underlying current. I've never understood it, um, but it's there. It's Is that there. the elephant in the room? I think so. And, and, and I think that, you know, lots of times women will use the, um, 
use the excuse, well, you know, I'm not hurt until I'm a bitch or I'm not hurt until I yell or until I go into crazy mode, you know? And I think that that's horrible. I, I, I don't think you need to be that way to get your way. You know, I don't, and I, I don't think that you're, you're going to gain respect when, when you act in that way. How do you best gain that respect? Especially if you have a group of people that may be not supportive or may not be on your side. I think it's about building relationships. Understand why or try to get an idea. You know, it's probably just because you haven't connected with someone. Um, take, take the time to get to know someone personally. Uh, be consistent, be fair, be your word, communicate clearly and give yourself some time. You know, you're not going to walk in on day one and everybody just, you know, you're not going to have everybody's respect right, right away. It takes some time. And is that uncomfortableness with uncertainty or lack of support or an uneasy terrain, does that throw people, does that throw some women off from getting footing and moving forward? Oh, sure. I think so. And how do you get your footing when that, in that kind of environment? How would, how do you coach someone to say, I know you're in a tricky situation. I know you have a lot of landmines and potholes around here. Here's how you do this. What do you say? Yeah. I mean, first of all, if I'm speaking to them and coaching them, that's the first step. Get some help. You know, probably somebody outside of the office who can give you another perspective and start working on, on forming those allies. Um, and just be yourself. Because here, here's the thing. At the end of the day, um, you know, now that I work with women a lot, something that I try hard not to do is um, I learned a lot of hacks while I was working in corporate America. I learned a lot of hacks about what to do and what to say and who to talk to. Um, and the thing about those hacks is it's not me. It's not who I am. And it's interesting because when I do coach women, sometimes I find myself, you know, resorting back to those hacks and that's not the way that we're going to move forward. It's about being your authentic self. And at the end of the day, it's your choice. You know what environment you're in, you know what you're up against, you know what you have to do, and it's up to you to make the decision of whether or not you want to stay there. And that, my friends, is your power and nobody can take that away from you. Do you get more satisfaction in a one-on-one coaching where you help someone bridge that gap or do you see the magic happen in a group? Oh man, I love, I love both. Groups are great. You know, have you ever witnessed somebody just get it? Like they have that aha moment. It's and called they, teaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's mean, just like, yeah, that's all of, yeah. but they get it's, it on their own. Yes. You know, you can tell, you can tell somebody how to be a leader all day long, but until they feel it and touch it and fail at it and figure it out and find their way, that's when it happens. And it can happen in groups. Um, and it can also happen individually. I mean, we have um, groups come out and do team building out at the ranch with um, our horses, leadership training with our horses. And um, there have been times when, you know, the group gets a lot out of it, but there's one person that just they just, you know, they just get it. They figure it out. And what's really cool about that is it, it ripples right through the whole group, you know? So, um, so yeah, I like all of them. (laughs) 
So if you would, we talked about your voice, we talked about your message. I want to hear your values. If you would describe your values in 12 words or less, what would you say your values are? Um, my values are um, my personal integrity, um, my family, and um, being my authentic self. And how are you living those values? Oh, I get to wake up every day and, and I mean, I, I'm living a dream. It's, it's incredible. I get to meet on this podcast. I get to meet one person every week, at least one person every week who is just doing something incredible. And they're just like you and me. They're not Michelle Obama. They're not, you know, somebody who is unreachable. People are around us everywhere. You know, I get to impact people's lives. I get to make a difference. And it's it's by choice. And it's awesome. I love it. So when you say Michelle Obama is unreachable, does that mean you will not ever meet her? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Um, I, I don't just, think unreachable is in your vocabulary. No, so. no. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty persistent. Yeah. Do you want to meet her? We talked about having coffee with her. I would love to meet her. her. Absolutely. Yeah, I would absolutely love I would dance with her. That's what I would do. Yeah, no, I would love to meet her. So you don't want to have coffee with her. You want to have a tango. <laughs> yeah. You want to, you want to have I think Fox I'm saying Trot. I want to date with Michelle Obama. I you, think want that her just you want her foxtrot <laughs> and dating skill. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the fun things about this podcast is this is kind of how I have conversations with my friends. We sit down and I just answer a ton of questions, you know, and that's what I would want to do with her. I just am a naturally curious person and I want to know, you know, everything. So. So when you say you get to sit down and talk with people, you usually get to ask the questions. Now that you've had the questions asked of you, what's been your takeaway from this podcast and what's been your aha moment in these last few minutes? Yeah, I don't really have an opportunity to tell my story much. And I think I need to make space for that. And in what ways now will you make more space for your storytelling? Um, You know, I used to do a leadership tip every week. And, um, you know, that came from my time managing in tech. Um, but I think just, uh, sharing my personal beliefs or opinions about leadership in general, um, taking it a step further. So not just a tip, but talking about this from a a value perspective or talking about this from what I'm seeing with clients now and what I'm experiencing every day or what I'm seeing with women or um, whatever that looks like. So I think that that is it is, um, I think there's a difference there and it's something I should do more. How would you, so I've interviewed thousands of people in a job setting as a recruiter Yeah, and that's been quite rewarding, but I always am surprised at the end of the interview, if someone does want the job that they don't say this has gone well, I'd like to move forward or thank you for the opportunity. I want to go forward because I think that appropriately ends the interview to say, thank you. And let's take the next step. How do you think a podcast should end? When you interview someone, what have people said at the end that you thought was a great close? And what have people said that you thought was left undone? Yeah, I like to, I've noticed that my, my style has evolved. I've done, um, I think 75 interviews now. And I think, um, what I like to do is tie everything up at the end with advice. 
And it's something that's come up in the conversation um, that might have been, you know, a challenge for them personally or something that I know I hear a lot of people kind of going, man, how do you do that? Or, or um, I don't know, I would like advice with that. So that's, that's what it is, 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 is giving people um, some information at the end to take away to, that they can use personally. So what takeaways would you say someone should garner from hearing you speak? and your message and your voice and your values. Right. Yeah, I think the the one thing that stands out in my mind right now is authenticity. What is it that you want to do? And if you want to do that, tell people. Just start talking about it. You don't need to walk up to somebody tomorrow and say, hey, I want to do this. But start talking to your friends about it. Start talking to um, your coworkers about it or your boss about it. You know, and it it could just be in your own way, whatever that, that sounds like. Hey, I've been thinking about this. Or, you know, I'm going to set a goal and in a year I want to do this. Will you help me get there? Um, you know, you don't have to do it on your own either. You know, you can ask people for help, by the way, is so powerful and something I had have had to learn the hard way. Um, and um, just stick to it. Just Just stick to it and have confidence in yourself and you can do it. You absolutely can do it. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. It has been fun. And it's been my honor to interview Cree. Thank you so much, Cree. And I'm looking forward to hearing even more of your podcasts, both this year and beyond. Thank you. I've had a blast. Thanks, Jet. Thank you. That was so much fun. Thank you so much, Jet Mitchell, for coming in and interviewing me. As I mentioned, I don't often have the opportunity to share my story, and it was such a pleasure to do that with her in this episode. So be sure to check out the show notes, because if you would like to hear Jet's story, I will place a link to her episode in the show notes so that you can go check it out. And also head over to leadershipexcursion.co forward slash schedule and enroll in one of our leadership training courses this spring. Can't wait to see you out at the ranch or in one of our courses. Thanks as always for tuning in and we'll see you again next week.